You're listening to the IBC Podcast, your international baseball career guide. Play ball! Now, here's your host, David Burns. Hey guys, it's David, and I'm back for episode number 59, and this is part two of an interview with Justin Boomer Princeton, who has spent the better part of a decade overseas building a baseball career. Uh, In part one, you heard a lot about his story, the struggles that he had at the beginning in Belgium. Uh, which led to him switching over to a league, a new upstart professional league in Israel. Uh, Then he was back home for maybe a month or two, not even two, and he was off to Australia to play baseball there. Uh, so we continue off with part or continue on with part two, uh, where he left off in Australia playing for the Southern District team in the Southern Australian Baseball League. So without further ado, let's get on with this podcast episode number fifty nine and part two with Boomer Princeton. Just a quick pause for our sponsor, Sambat. IBC is now a supplier for Sambat in Europe. So any clubs looking for team orders can contact me at d.burns at baseballjobsoverseas.com and we'll hook you up. Okay, so now you, you showed up in Australia to play with the Hawks. You played an inning, basically passed out in the dugout. And now you have like a month off because it's Christmas time. So maybe you can walk us through how you, you know, how that experience was and if you did anything cool during that month off. And then uh, we'll get into how the rest of the season went. Yeah, it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty strange in, in terms of baseball experiences already playing overseas. And then when you show up and you're ready to play, you play one inning and then you have three weeks off. Um, that's, that's definitely a different thing that I've ever experienced. So. Um, but it was good because they got a chance to uh, kick the jet lag. And I think it can't be overstated um, when you're playing. I know that like the MLB played over in Australia last year. And um, going from America to Australia, you're literally reversing on the other side of the world. and You're just yeah. you're in a fog for like 10 days. I mean, almost up to a week. You're eating at the strangest times. You're waking up at 3 in the morning. And it's just a very strange experience. So it was it was a blessing in disguise to, to be able to to have those first few days without, without actually having to play. And I was, um, I was living with, um, my, my roommate from the Israel league, Adam Crab, um, called him Crabby. And, uh, so I just basically followed him around for a few weeks, got a chance to have the holidays in Australia and with his family. And then, um, I mean, they just treated me amazing, like a, like another son. And I was really fortunate to, to be with the crabs and, uh, then yeah, we, we had Australia Day, which actually is uh, January 26 uh, of this year. Um, so I'll be celebrating from Michigan every year. It's uh, you drink drink Australian wine, eat lamb, and um, listen to Triple J, and and be out on the Barbie all all day. So uh, it was it was pretty cool. Um, I didn't really do much traveling. I saw all of South Australia, which is a beautiful beautiful place and great wine country. Um, not big into surfing as much, but, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a, it was a unique experience. Um, I really enjoyed, um, just going to the beach or, or going up hiking, um, and then the trails up there and, uh, got a chance to just sort of refocus and, and get ready for the, for the second half of the season. And then, you know, I was, um, I was at a new year's day concert and I was talking to, to Krabby and I think I was probably in, in Adelaide at the time. Adelaide's not as a big of a touristy place as you know sydney is or, or melbourne and 
I was walking around talking with Crab and just talking normal, and some some girl turned around and was like, "You're not from here," you know, because the accent really stands out. And um, I was like, "No, I'm not." And I that's what I learned right right there in my first week that uh, um, you really don't need to be a good looking guy. You don't really need to even talk about being a professional baseball player if you just have an accent in Australia as an American. It seems to do uh, it seems to do wonders for you. So yeah, uh, I, I think that's pretty universal actually like if if you're not in a touristy area i find in europe like if you're in a smaller town or a mid-sized town that really doesn't have a lot of americans or or foreign native english speakers walking around um i find like the it's the same thing is is really they hear that accent and everybody just wants to meet you or talk to you and they're wondering what you're doing there whereas if you're playing in prague or something like that you're just another tourist as far as they're concerned so right so yeah so adelaide for that this i mean this girl happened to be like a, a more famous model uh, in the in the country, so um, you know, I I wasn't complaining, you know, but I definitely was batting out of my league there, and uh, I have to thank my Michigan accent for that, which I didn't even realize was a good accent, but um, yeah, that that is definitely one of the the highlights I would say of, of my first few weeks in Australia, right off the bat. So, um, so so things are turning around for you. Then you went, you had a you know a few struggles, some good memories uh, in your first year uh, or not even a full year overseas. Now you're in Australia and it seems like things are turning around. So how did uh, the rest of the season go? Like, you know, did uh, the club take care of you well? And uh, was it a good club to play for? Did you have a good time? Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a veteran club. And I, they basically brought me in to, to just reinforce their pitching staff. Um, when they found out, of course, as every coach would find out as I go through my baseball career there, uh, they, they want me as a pitcher and they find out, oh, you can actually hit a little bit. So um, I ended up, doing some hitting, doing some pitching. I probably ended up hitting more for them than I was as a pitcher. Um, I went down into like the B-grade league where I was able to reinforce their, their second-team roster and ended up helping them win the championship um, in that level and then came back for the playoffs with them. And We went to the semis and uh, played a real tough series against uh, their rival, Glenn Elg, and um, got to pitch in that and did pretty well. And you know, most, Mostly for me, that that experience was all about getting ready for my for my real season and that just gave me an opportunity to to sort of warm up if you, if you will um you know i know the aussies don't always see it that way but you know they weren't really paying me they were just providing me you know with a, with a place to stay um and um that's typically how it goes in australia if you don't have a work visa over there um or you're not with one of the the top clubs that that actually pay most teams don't pay so you're kind of out on your own, um, so that, that's that's sort of why you have to look at it more as like a as a winter ball warming up experience, and that's the way I looked at it. Um, you know, I'm going to do my best I can on the field there, but I'm not going to throw 120 pitches every time out because you know I have a season where I need to earn my earn my living and, and get paid for it coming up in, in the beginning of March. So, yeah. and I, I think that trend is changing slightly. I just within the few years I've been doing this. Um, I've noticed that clubs have gone from not paying flights to most of them are paying flights now. Um, but And they set you up with a job. They're not paying salaries, but at least they're paying flights now, it seems, for the most part, and providing you with a job. And the minimum wage, I don't know about back then, but right now it's $20 an hour, so you can make pretty good money now. Of course, the cost of living is also a little higher as well, but if you're 
if they, they usually provide housing. So if you, you know, if you're living for free and you're making 20 bucks an hour and you have your flight flights paid, you actually can come out in the plus, I think, uh, these days. In yeah. Australia. I think you got to go into it. And I, I think at the time I didn't really have a big problem with it. Um, I was 23. I wanted to play baseball in Australia. Yeah. You know, not people get that opportunity and you know, you're, you're, you're worth something, but when, when they don't charge admission to games and when you have 20 people, 25 people come out to games, you have to be realistic that, you know, they're not going to pay me to go out there. It's just not something that they, they value. So it's, it's very much on as good. The league is good. The league was really good. Um, there are some great imports in that league. Um, and, and, you know, the, the talent level is, is, is right on par with what I was facing at, at a division one college. So, you know, that said, it's still not professional, and you have to take that sort of thing and, and put your ego aside and realize, hey, I'm, I'm in, a, in a foreign country. I'm in Australia, of all places. Yeah. I get a chance to play baseball every day. I got housing taken care of. Uh, the crabs were wonderful to me, and, and you know they, they took care of all the food. So yeah, I really had nothing else that I needed. I, I, would, I was just playing baseball. So yeah. as a 23-year-old from America who, who grew up wanting to – have that as a profession to be able to play winter ball in Australia and, and go through that experience. Um, it's really one of the best experiences I've ever had. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That's how I would look at it as well. If I had that opportunity when I was 23. So, um, so, okay. That, that season finished up and, uh, you know, so you, you head back to Europe no, yeah. can you well, actually put a timeline on this now? So that I get confused. <laughs> your story so long. So this, I think this is in two thousand seven eight, the winter of two thousand seven eight. Oh yeah, you're 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 right on board here. So yeah. yeah, this was you know February March two thousand eight. I uh, flew back to the states. Um, I moved back from DC back to Detroit. I was uh, living at my uh, well, keeping my stuff at my parents' place right outside of Detroit. I think I was home for three days, and I got on a flight and went over to uh, to the Netherlands. Um, had a few snafus getting over there with with the airline set up, and <laughs> kind of a crazy story. They they booked my ticket through uh, um, through a through a travel agent, and they I guess the payment didn't process. So I was at the airport um, leaving about six o'clock in the afternoon or evening in Detroit, which would have been midnight in the Netherlands, and they said that my that my ticket hadn't been purchased yet. And it was, you know, it was an expensive ticket. I didn't have that, that kind of money at the time. And so I had to find out who didn't do what over with my team in the Netherlands. <laughs> so I was sitting there at the airport by myself and, and, and missed my flight because I couldn't get a hold of anybody over in the Netherlands to confirm that the flight had been paid for. I, all I had was a, was a confirmation number. I didn't actually have a ticket number. So um, this was kind of a crazy beginning to um to my next european adventure and after being through that first year and going through all those ups and downs i mean it's sort of like oh it's just a flight it's no big deal at least i have a contract at least they want me you know i'll get over there eventually so yeah and you're going to which was your end destination uh the netherlands so which club is this with i was uh i was signed so i signed in february um while i was in australia with uh, the textown tigers Mm -hmm. in the dutch first league Okay, so um, Dutch called, First League in, is actually not the top league, though, just right. to clarify. Okay. Yes, it's actually the second league. The, the top league is called the, the Hof class or the head class. Yeah. And 
my goal now was after, you know, I still wanted to be in that head class. I still wanted to be in the top league. And I, I looked at it. Well, now I have some interest from some Dutch teams because my name is out there. I'm going to go with the team in the first division in the second league and try to make my name for, for myself there where I could eventually go into the head class. So, yeah, um, yeah Textown was on the border of Germany. It was actually pretty far away from Amsterdam. I didn't really realize how far away it was. Um, it's it's way over in the east, um, but that's so I was actually flying into um, into Dusseldorf, mm-hmm. Germany, which was the but closest it, airport. When you look at the grand, you know, the size of the Netherlands, I guess any road games aren't too far of a trip. No, no, I mean, you know, from one end of the country to the other, it's three hours, so it's yeah. it's really, you know, it's not horrible, but. Um, once you're there, it's it's like they they act like you're on the other side of the world, you know. <laughs> yeah. That's the western. So. Okay, so how that how that end up going? You here you are. You're in the Netherlands. You're progressing through your overseas career, and we're not even close to the end. I know, but um, what was it? What was it, what were your first impressions? What, did everything kind of go smoothly this time around? Yeah, I mean, you had another little contract snafu where my uh, they had originally put the contract in. Um, in euros and or in dollars, and then they changed it to euros. So there was a, a discrepancy when I got there over over how much I was actually getting. Um, so that was a little bit frustrating. Um, but I had a great, great um, support team behind me there that really bought into what I was doing as a player, and um, eventually asked me to, to come on and, and really start coaching them. Um, so um, there was a guy named Ernst Siahaya who was the the, the coach of the junior team there mm-hmm. and Ernst like sort of took me under his wing and I met him the first day I was there and said, Hey, um, you know, I, I understand you're having this issue with, with the, with the contract. Here's what I'll do. You come and help me out with the junior team. I'll set you up, you know, coaching kids and uh, we'll make up the, you know, the rest of it. And he'd also invite me over for, for dinner, you know, once a week and to, to have that, sort of experience there. Um, I was living at the time with two of my teammates who were, who were great guys and a lot of fun to hang out with. I was 24 years old and, you know, really became, I had a great support team. And, and then my manager there was from Aruba. Um, his name was Stanley Cock. And he really got and understood baseball from like a sort of Caribbean view, which mm-hmm. is closer to American than, than European. Yeah. And so, you know, he let me hit, he let me pitch. I sort of had carte blanche in terms of what I wanted to do as a baseball player and then also what I wanted to do as, as a coach and an instructor. And I think I really used the Australia experience to get in shape, and I never was in a better shape in my life. I mean, the way that I pitched and the way that I hit um, for Textown that year was was probably the best performance I think I've ever had on the field as a 24-year-old. I felt like I was really in my prime. Mm-hmm. I was you know, consistently throwing in the upper 80s. Um, my slider had never been better. And then they let me DH when I wasn't pitching, and they let me hit for myself. I ended up probably one of the league leaders in batting average. I hit 411 that year. I had home runs. I, I was batting cleanup for us. Um, and it was a pretty competitive league. I mean, you're one step below the head class. There's a lot of ex-head class players there. I would say at that time in 2008, knowing what I know now about, about the European baseball leagues, it's probably a, a top five or six league in Europe overall. So Yeah. Yeah, no, I've heard good things about the Dutch First League, and um, you know, and and of course, 
being a two-way player like you are is is huge in Europe. The you know, especially with clubs or that are in leagues that only import one to three players in a season, they're looking for guys that can do a multitude of things. So, the fact that you can come in and and do well on the mound and hit four eleven is probably that was solidifying your long-term career overseas. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> the biggest thing, and and I, I I went through a period of my life where. I didn't have coaches that necessarily believed in me. I was always playing in levels sort of like maybe above my talent, trying to push myself and be at the highest position. And that really prepared me for a, a moment like where I, where I came to Town. And then I had a manager in, in Stanley where he just said like, hey, you're, my, you're the man. And, you know, I'm going to ride you. And this is a team that finished in 11th out of 12, 12 teams the year before I got there. And I got us into a point where we were – you know, we had a, we had some good talented players on the team, but it was it was relatively young, and it was it needed that that workhorse, that starting pitcher, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I got to um, you know go out there, pitch seven, eight, nine innings almost every single time. I mean, I had a bunch of complete games, and they 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 believed in me, and they and they 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 rode my you know my my arm all the way you know all the way through. So, um, you know, it's, for me, it was an incredible experience to to have that confidence placed underneath you. And I going forward, that's how I started coaching and how I started acting is when you have the confidence, when you have the, the team that, that's behind you and the manager that's behind you, it really can do wonders for your, for your performance. Oh yeah, definitely. And um, so here you are pitching complete games and lots of innings, obviously, and you've been playing for over a year straight now you know what uh, well anyway how did that season end and then did you get some rest in after that yeah so um at that point yeah I was pretty burnt out and and I couldn't really see myself going back to Australia again I just had thrown a lot of innings I'm not that big of a guy so I really you know it's tough to absorb all that wear and tear I ended up getting some fraying in my rotator cuff um that was really bothering me I knew that I had to go back and, and rehab it so um I had taken the um I taken the LSAT the year before and just sort of like was planning on, okay, what's going to happen after baseball if this doesn't work out. And I wasn't at that point where it wasn't going to work out. I just knew that I needed some time off. And so it just sort of lined up where I was able to um, apply to a law, few law schools, got a scholarship to one in Detroit. And uh, the, the, the contingent, the contingent was, I told them, I said, look, here's the deal. I'll come to your law school, but I'm going to be late. I'm going to be coming in, you know, after the season, um, is over and you know in early September um you know we didn't make the playoffs and then I'll probably have to leave again early if I if I sign with somewhere else and they said okay we'll work it out for you so that's cool um, this was University of Detroit Mercy and I started going to law school and, and rehabbing my shoulder and trying to figure out what I'm going to do in my baseball career okay so that's 2008 you start law school um that was after the summer of 2008 yes uh, you show up late in the fall you start law school. Um, so then you took that winter off. Yeah, just, yep. just rehab the shoulder, got in the gym, and, and uh, you know, got a cortisone shot. And, yep. um, you know, really uh, really tried to do, you know, do something different for a change, you know, switch things up and, and hit the books and, and see, you know, how that, that would go. Um, meanwhile, you know, I was getting – my shoulder was getting stronger, and I felt like, you know, I, I want to play pro ball. You know some more here so uh coming off one of my best probably my best season of my life um that's that's what i was 
trying to do. Okay, so so that brings us to the summer of 2009. Did you go back to Europe at that point, or? Well, interestingly enough, um, you know, I think like every every guy that plays baseball and wants to play it for a living always wants to go to the highest level they can. And I think as an American, you you know, the dream is to play pro. You know, obviously in the big leagues, if that's not going to happen, you want to see. Hey, I want to play minor league baseball, and I had some, you know, some sniffs, you know, from from some independent league teams coming out of college, and then my next year. But after that year in Europe, um, I felt like if this is going to be the year, I'm going to go play um, pro ball in the states. This is, you know, this is it. So I talked with a few clubs and actually had some workouts and got some offers um, from a team in um, a team in the Can Am League and then a team um, in the Frontier League here in the Midwest. And, uh, I mean, they had me on the gun. I was, you know, I was sitting 87, 88 and, uh, my slider was really good. So, you know, you know, I was, I was going to be realistic with myself and they were realistic with me. They said, you know, here's a contract, you know, it's a non-guaranteed contract. You know, you could be a relief, relief piece for us. And I had known from my college teammates, you know, what that entailed. And, um, I, it was almost like, okay, for my ego, I have this offer. I know that I could do it, but let's be honest, like what's going to happen. You know, I have a bad outing or two, they're going to get rid of me and then I'll be, you know, without a job and mm-hmm. my baseball career is over. Meanwhile, because of my performance in the Netherlands in 2008, one of the best teams in the Dutch league in the, actually the best team in the first division. And they were trying to promote to the head class, a team called the Almira Magpies. Yeah. They actually got and purchased my transfer rights from uh, the Textown Tigers and, they were setting up to make a run at, at trying to promote up to the head class. So, um, yeah, they wanted all the best players that were available in the first, in the first league. And, um, I was like, you know what? I, I they offered a really good contract and I, I can't pass this up. No, that was your goal from the start, right? So, well, they, you know, my goal was to be in the head class and I felt like this, this team was going to give me an opportunity, yeah. you know, to, to win and, and, and go up there. So, okay. So um, they're not, at, in 2009, they were not promoting to the head class. They were going. They were attempting to. Right. So, okay. so how it works is Elmira had been in the head class before. Um, they played in this beautiful stadium. It's a Elmira is a suburb of Amsterdam. It's about 25 minutes outside, and they had a beautiful ballpark. Um, you know, and one of the best in, in Europe. And they had been in the head class before. They actually had, um, I think, two years prior to when I was there, they had two guys that were former major leaguers. Uh, Yvonne Coffey and Eugene Kingsdale, um, both guys from Curacao that had played in the big leagues. So they were used to some big name guys and, and being at the top. And they had went through some financial tr- tr- uh, struggles and had demoted down to the first league. So they were looking to promote back up. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had done really well against them. I, I hit a home run off of their 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 number one starter, Stan Van Den Batum. And uh, I pitched a complete game against them the year before with Town and they came after me pretty hard um, and wanted me to, to be on their squad. Perfect. So 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 now you're heading back in 2009 to play in the same league, basically, but for a team that has a chance to promote going into the, the next season. And when you had the hopes of promoting with them, they would bring you back for a second year. Right. Okay. Yeah. It was, it was strange. I mean, that was kind of a strange situation because you're in the same country, which – it, uh, just on the other side of the country, but it's still, I started to learn the Dutch language better. Um, I started to really, you know, ad- adapt to the culture. I started, 
making some some real lasting friendships in in the Netherlands because of my familiarity with them. And you know, playing against my old team, it was kind of fun. Um, you know, you know, I still was, was still cool with those guys, and I still owed you know them a lot of you know respect for giving me an opportunity to sort of springboard and into to where I was at then. And, and were they but, cool with um, that, or like were they okay with you transferring to Elmir? They totally got it. They, you know, they went and picked up another guy. They understood like what I was trying to do. I had such a good season for them, and I did a good job of coaching that. I, I don't think there was any real animosity. Um, so, you know, maybe there was, and I was oblivious to it. I think I'm <laughs> maybe tend to be a little bit more oblivious than I realized. But you know, I really, you know, tried to be a good guy over there, and I did a, did a lot with the youth programs, and I made some really good friends that I'm still friends with to this day at Tech Sound. So. Um, I, I really think that they were okay with me trying to, to promote up. They didn't see that as sort of a threat. Um, and, and I was happy to, to be really on a, one of the best teams I've ever had a chance to play for um, yeah. without Mira. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how did the season go? Here you are. Did they accomplish their goal of promoting, and, and were you able to prom- promote with them if so? I mean, it, yeah, it was an incredible season um, just from the get-go. A little disappointed off the bat, I had actually secured a, a, a sponsorship with Sambat, uh, your sponsor, mm-hmm. um, and I'd been swinging Sambat since I was 16 or 17 years old. I was working out with this uh, pro player named Mike Servanak, who actually made it to the big leagues, and he got me swinging Sambats back in like 98, 99, when I was 14, 15, and so Sambat stayed with me, and when I finally, you know, been one of the leading hitters in the Dutch League, they... they Made made my own bat, and they said, "Hey, you know, if you get guys over there to uh, to start swinging it, we'll be really happy with that. So we'll give you all these bats for free." So, yeah. um, and then I get over to Almira, and the coach is like, "Yeah, I know you can hit, but I can't risk your arm. So you're just, you know, we're going to DH for you." <laughs> so, um, I was. I think that was the biggest struggle that I had that year. I, I was kind of pissed. Um, I wanted to hit. I I love hitting, but. To be honest, our team was so good. Our DH, Chirani LaCruz, was an absolute monster. And, you know, to, to be on a team that was just, like, I'm talking about we were the New York Yankees of the, the Dutch First Division. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't need to hit. You know, I just went out there. I They used me in some different roles. I They, they, they sort of brought me along slow. I, I started in relief, and then I transitioned to sort of long relief, and then I was starting, and I was just like a, more of a utility pitcher. They put me in when they needed to, and um, we steamrolled through the league. I mean, we didn't lose for like the first two months of the year. I think we lost two games all year, um, and uh, it was it was pretty incredible. Um, the guys on the team were great. I mean, just ball players, you know, and 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 the, everybody believed in the same common purpose, which was to promote up. So yeah, um, we got we got to the point where. We had won the we won the first division pretty pretty handily, and we were now ready for the promotion series. And then some things really hit the fan. So we're looking at the Almera financial situation and said, "Hey, we don't think you guys can you know maintain uh, in the head class. It's more expensive here, and we're not going to let you play in the promotion series against the last place team." At the time, the last place team in the head class was RCH, mm-hmm. and. Um, so here we are in like September. I was supposed to go back to law school. At this point, I was like three weeks, almost a month late. I just told law school, "Hey, I'm I'm not coming back." I we're in the we're in the playoffs, and I'm, I'm trying to <laughs> championship here. So priorities, yeah, yeah, taking that time off. Um, and and they 
it was crazy. They 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 wouldn't let us actually play this promotion series. So we took we took the Dutch baseball governing body, uh, the KNDSB, to court to get an injunction to on that, and so they could let us play the series. And so they ended up agreeing to let us play the series, but they said we're only going to let you play the series in five days. And this is like unheard of in the league because, you know, you usually play like on Saturday and Sunday, you usually play, you know, two games on the weekend. That's it. Yeah. So a team in the first division like us, we had two starting pitchers. We had myself, we had uh, Stan a team like RCH in the head class. They played Thursday, Saturday and Sunday. So they would have three starting pitchers to really go at and just some, a, a bigger roster in general. So um, to play five games in a row, five consecutive days, basically was was putting us at this disadvantage where they knew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where they're like, we're, we're we're basically you know banking on you guys not having enough pitching, so you won't be able to promote. So they they stacked the cards against us. So you go into this five game series <laughs> and underhanded, shorthanded, and but you've had, you've come off obviously a great season, and everybody is you know. Their focus is promoting. Uh, how, what, how does this turn out? Yeah, I mean, RCH is going to do whatever it takes to stay in, and, and we obviously were, were, were very motivated. So um, it was a back-and-forth sort of thing. Um, I, I, I got the ball and started in game two. We were up one game to zero already. Stan pitched the gem in the first game. And, and uh, I left the game after the seventh inning, hanging on to a lead. I was uh, – Going against an Australian, Chris Modi, who was um, who was who was a stud at, the, at you know at stud import pitcher for them, and uh, we ended up coughing up the, the lead and, and went one to you know one to one against them. Uh, so it was a little disappointing for that to happen. Uh, in game in game three, we 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 got rained out, so I came back on one day rest to start game game three, uh, and and we ended up losing. Uh, pretty bad there. I didn't even make it out of the second inning. So that was really disappointing. I mean, I, I don't 110 pitches and tried to come back on one day rest. So I'm, I'm just I'm a little confused why they came with that decision when, uh, maybe so, they, why didn't they go with the first game pitcher? Yeah. So he, they basically said he, I was in better shape than him is what they said. And they were paying me more. So they, <laughs> they wanted to go with me for that game and, and let him get that at that point he could then get three days rest. Yeah. So, and, and actually it's, so it, so it ended up sort of working out. I was kind of pissed about it. I mean, I could barely move my arm. I just went in my physiotherapist over there. His name's Emil cool. And he really did a great job. I mean, I went and saw him like for two hours every day for, for the next two days. And, uh, Stan came through and the team came through and we won game game four. So we forced the decisive game five and, um, I was really hanging at this point. You know, I'd thrown you know two games in the last four days, and uh, we started our like our third pitcher who had really not started most of the year, and he gave up four runs pretty quick, um, and we were behind four to one. And they brought me from the bullpen in the third inning. I ended up going like the next six innings. Uh, I gave up one run. We came back. Our, our team fought and clawed the whole way, and. Uh, our DH, who who I was pissed at the beginning for for hitting for me, uh, <laughs> came up with a huge uh, go ahead home run, and and we clung on to a five four five four win. Wow. It's like in front of about two thousand five hundred fans. Everybody from the Dutch league was there. Uh, the whole town was rocking. We had the soccer hooligans that were there setting off like 
uh, flares and fireworks. <laughs> and then there's freak. the added drama of, you know, the whole court situation. And <laughs> yeah, so this was like um, probably the highlight of my of my European baseball life, the epitome of it, which was, you know, we we with all the cards stacked against us and pitching on, you know, fumes coming in and 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 winning by one run. Um, in front of you know thousands of people and them chanting your name and it's a very overwhelming experience and um, probably the greatest baseball experience I think I've ever had and something that you know I don't think I would have ever experienced in the states had I you know stuck around and stayed there and played my you know one year of independent ball or something like that you know yeah, yeah no doubt um, cool so you guys then are promoted to uh, the hoofed class for the following season where which is two thousand. Ten, yeah. Woo, I'm on track. You're um, on track, yeah. And, uh, so, so that season's done now, and then there's winter ball coming up. Is it, did you, or, or I guess you had to go back and study, actually, right? Well, no. So I took the time off from law school. First year was pretty brutal as it was. I was, I was I actually took my exams while I was while I was overseas uh, in in Holland, uh, playing, you know, going to practice and all that stuff. So. I needed a break from from the from the law school, and I went back. Actually, got a got a um, an offer to go play for West Sterling Indians in the in the Western Australia uh, uh, State League, uh, which is in Perth. Yeah. So, um, yeah, based on how great of an experience I had in Australia the last time, I was like, all right. So, turned around and you know went back to America for a week, and then flew back to uh, to Australia for the for the winter season. <laughs> wow. Okay, so so now you're back for your second year in Australia. How much? And here we are. This is the third year in. How much rest have you had? Like, how long did you spend at home in this time? You know, I, I don't think. I, I mean, I, I, went, I think I went like two years without being more than a month back in like the states. Yeah. You know, or something like that. And, and yeah, I mean, I've been home for that winter of 2008. Yeah. And I'm in law school, but that was really it at this point. I mean, I. Yeah been on a very nomadic vagabond sort of journey yeah. uh, vagabond that's a term that not a lot of people use but i'm familiar with so um vagabond is actually i, I sorry to cut you off so yeah. brad Gilfie, who was the guy that introduced me to european baseball he he started calling me the international vagabond or the <laughs> vagabond superstar uh of, of baseball so i i was sort of at this point, you know, I'm playing for more teams than there are seasons in a year. So I yeah, yeah. sort of accepted this at that point. That's a good term for you. <laughs> but yeah. so, so now you're going to play in, in Australia again and during the winter when you're supposed to be at law school. So you're, you, did it, you did it from Australia again? Like no, that? so I got really lucky on this one again too. And, and I, I think it's one of those things where a lot of players, and if there's any players out there that are listening um, to this, that are you know either going through a situation where they don't know what to do, or they're struggling to make ends meet, or you know there's a lot, you can always think outside the box. And if if you're a baseball player, I think you can use that to your advantage. And I started figuring this out like three years into it, so I convinced the school in, in Detroit to basically allow me to take classes in Australia. They never heard of this before. During the school year, so I because it was summer in Australia, um, I took summer classes, but I took it during the school year, the winter school year in, De- in Detroit. So yeah. um, I ended up having you know something to do, but it wasn't full time. It was just a few few classes in the summer to keep my eligibility going. Yeah, uh, wow. And, 
I, I, I sort of needed that because I had been promised, you know, a certain amount of money by, by West Sterling and a job and none of that came through. Um, and, and we had actually gotten four or five imports over. So at that time I was really, really scuffling. Like I was broke and I had, I had no money coming in at so they all. So they'd set you up with a job and it just didn't happen or... Yeah, they, they sent me up. I got a working visa. There was no job. I had no car. I had no way of getting around and going to a job, even if I wanted one. Um, I, I didn't I didn't know anybody over there. Unlike where in Adelaide, I, I knew uh, I knew Krabby. You know, in, in yeah. Perth, I didn't know anybody off the bat. Um, so that was a real um, that was an experience where, like, if you're if you're not prepared and if you trust the team and things go wrong, things can get really sour really quick. Um, and you become into sort of like survival mode. Yeah. So. So how did you get how did you get by then financially? I mean, so yeah, I I, I started. I, I got really lucky. I ran into a. Um, I went with one of our players to like a, a softball game of his sisters and uh, met so, met this woman, uh, Carrie Raspoli from from the Korean Cats softball organization. Mm-hmm. And once again, my accent paid off for me. She's like, you're not from here. That's a nice accent. And I was like, oh, thanks. She's an older woman, you know, so there, were, there was no romantic thing here. But she's like, hey, um, I'm looking for a baseball coach, and you're from Austria, or from America, so would you be interested in coaching my girls' softball team for some money? I'm like, uh, yes. <laughs> I don't have any experience in softball, but yeah. absolutely. So um, I just sort of got lucky, you know, just using my accent to my advantage <laughs> yeah again so that so so it seems like it's, it worked out you stayed on with the the indians then fi- uh, finished out that season and did you earn enough money to kind of you know support your living expenses anyway yeah i mean it was i ended up moving in with with carrie and and coaching the softball girls i mean that was became sort of my job and the baseball became almost a side thing so um, I was just really, again, using that experience to get into shape for my upcoming uh, season in Europe, which I was going back to Elmira to play in the head class. So, you know, I, I put myself sort of on a you know, innings limit or a pitch limit there. And I don't think the team loved that that idea. They, you know, they saw me as an import guy and they wanted me to, to yeah. go out there and compete. And I, and I did to an extent, but, you know, they weren't paying me anything. Yeah, I was just going to say, if they're not so, paying you anything, then, or basically just left you high and dry there, then you don't really have any obligations at that point. Right. I mean, and I like, I love the guys on the team, and I'm still friends with, with a lot of them. And, and they're really, it was a great group of guys. It was just the organization at the time was going through some changes. They actually ended up firing the president and the manager because they overly committed to, to imports. And it's just one of those things where you get stuck in something that is above and beyond your, your pay grade. And, you know, you begin, like I said, you, you have to go into sort of survival mode. And at that point I was like, Hey, I want to work out and, and get to the good shape so I can be ready for, for the head class. So, yeah. And it sounds to me like they were just maybe, bit off a little more than they can chew with good intentions so i mean that does happen but like you said you kind of have to be prepared for those situations overseas because um these are amateur clubs for the most part that you're dealing with so you know right yeah so okay so you finish off that season any you know miracle stories or weird things that happen or is it just kind of a normal season finish it off and and went to the head class oh no Nothing, nothing miraculous, I would say, other than just just surviving on on really nothing, on <laughs> no money at all, and 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 you know, 
uh, yeah, made, made some great friends, made some like lifelong friends over there um, with some other imports that, that were also going through similar struggles. And um, at this time, I've been scouting for the, uh, for the Houston Astros. So I was... I started looking. That was the first year that they were, or the last year of the Claxton Shield, or the first, you know, right before they went into the ABL. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got a chance to uh, actually sign a guy from from the the Perth Heat, one of the best players in Australia, and bring him over with me to to as another import to uh, to Almere that next year. So I oh, thought that was cool. pretty cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And so, how long had you been scouting for the Astros at this point? And it was it. Just in Australia, or was it just in Europe? Or well, no, I started in I started in Europe the yeah. year before with Almira. Um, I was working at one of the top academies um, called the uh, Skimmers Academy, and I had been hired by by Mauro Mazzotti, who's the, the Astros director of scouting uh, in in Europe, and uh, it was it was a pretty cool experience to. You know, be a 24, 25 year old and already, you know, sort of cutting your teeth in, in the scouting world and learning the, the ropes and learning the terminology and stuff like that. And so I, when I went down to Australia, I sort of applied that, that knowledge that I'd been getting scouting amateur players in, in Europe mm-hmm. and started looking for what kind of player could, could reinforce our team in, in Almira. So yeah. um, as a 25 year old at this point, it was pretty cool to like be on all aspects of, of baseball. You yeah. know, I'd been coaching, I'd been playing and now i'm like scouting yeah. so how did, that, how did that come about with uh morrow like how did how did you fall into that yeah it was uh pretty again right place right time and being being friends with adam crab seems to be like a, a blessing <laughs> in my life uh crabby was trying to play, play in italy um or he had gotten some interest from italian clubs um, before the 2009 season, and it just so happened that the Astros scout in the Netherlands had left to go back to uh, Aruba or lived in Aruba, and so he was looking for a guy in in the Netherlands. And Krabby had pitched there the year before because I got Krabby this job there, and uh, he said, "Krabby, do you know anybody in the Netherlands? By the way, I see you played there the year before. That'd be interested in scouting." And Krabby's like, "You got to get Boomer Princeton. He's like, you know, the guy to get." And he's like, well, I'm a little worried he doesn't live there. So Mauro put me through this, like, rigorous, like, interview process. But he realized, you know, that I, if I wasn't, if I didn't know what I was talking about, I was pretty good at faking it. And I somehow <laughs> convinced him to hire me as a 25-year-old scout in a country that I didn't even live in full-time. So yeah. um, it was pretty lucky. But um, I think Mauro made probably the best decision of his life. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, th- th- this all came from making good friends overseas. Like, you made good friends with Krabby, I believe, in Israel. Right. And, you know, th- that just led to, you know, a-, a-, a strengthening of that relationship when you went there uh, to play in Australia. And, you know, so this all comes about just through networking and being a good guy o- overall, right? And just uh, yeah, I mean, developing so at, those friendships. And, at this point, like, I don't think... I mean, I don't think I've ever asked a guy to, like, pay me money to, like, set him up. I mean, I set up uh, Jason Rees, my other um, roommate in Israel. He actually got signed out to Israel to play for the Yankees. And then I got him um, a, a gig in playing in the Dutch head class yeah. um, before. And I got, you know, crabby small offers. And I'd meet guys, you know, in Australia. And, and I'd promote them to the teams in Europe. I'd promote the guys in Europe to the teams in Australia. So... I started sort of doing what the international baseball community does, but just as like a one man, you know, sort of I'll do this for you because, you know, I was at that point in my, in my life early on where I needed somebody to do that for me and, and yeah. Brad did. So, 
you know, I, I truly believe in sort of this paint it forward uh, notion, you know, I'm not going to make, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool to do that and and see friends and, and meet friends and, and, and and what it evolves to is you always got a place to go for a beer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah, <laughs> for sure, man. Systematic, I systematically place players all over Europe. So if I ever wanted to visit a place, I could have a place to sleep and a beer. Just a quick pause for our sponsor, Sambat. IBC is now a supplier for Sambat in Europe. So any clubs looking for team orders can contact me at d.burns at baseballjobsoverseas.com and we'll hook you up. Okay, so now you're heading back to Elmir, who's now promoted to the head class, and that you've reached your goal. You, you're, you've made it to the top league in the Netherlands, and this is now 2010. Yeah, I mean, at this point, for me, like looking around the, the Dutch league and, and the Italian league, which are, you know, by all intents and purposes, the best two leagues in Europe. But imports that come over in those two leagues, a little bit different than like Germany and Czech, they're mostly guys that have affiliated ball experience. Yeah. Um, and and I know from just trying to get into the Dutch league for three years at this point, you know, 2007, nope, 2008, nope, 2009, nope, had to promote up. You know, the only way I saw myself getting into the hope class as an import without having affiliated ball experience was through this promotion. So, um, it was a lot of hard work. It was the coolest thing ever coming over the first week was like spring training and we were pitching in Rotterdam, Neptunus' stadium, which is a huge stadium in there and facing Neptunus, which at the time was, and they still are, but at that time, I mean, they had every guy on that team had been signed to play pro ball and some guys and they had Kingsdale at that time he'd been in the big leagues and the first batter I faced to start the year was Eugene Kingsdale former major leaguer and I strike him out and I'm just like man this is so sweet you know I, I could never have imagined playing at this level um, and like my mantra was you know just keep playing as long as someone's going to give me an opportunity and look where I'm at now so yeah it was a, it was a like one of those moments where you just got like chills going <laughs> it was it was really cold but I was also I also had chills yeah it was for sure uh, and, and it's a whole different experience like uh, you know this is now a professional league in Europe right um, so. so how did the season pan out for Almir and yourself yeah, it was it was uh it was very up and down um, and it was kind of weird um, I'd never been through something like this. We lost three of our top four players um, because, uh, you know, we promoting up, being, being a focal point in the Dutch League. Some teams that wanted to reinforce their rosters came after some of our best guys. Uh, we lost mm-hmm. Rancy and Parader, our shortstop. We lost our second baseman, Niels Van Wertz. Um, we, lost, uh, we lost one of our be- best young pitchers to the States, uh, Jim Pluger. Um, we, we were, and we lost Lenoy Cruz, another head class team. We lost like four of our best five guys. Mm-hmm. Um, we had our catchers, uh, Giovanni Sambo back. We had Joey Birkenbosch was like the heart and soul of the team back, but we were really struggling. And we, so we, you know, we, we, we expanded our roster to try to fill in those gaps and they got new uniforms and they did all this stuff. And I guess the KNBSB, the KNBSB, the Dutch baseball board was right. We, we sort of overextended ourselves. We got Mitch Graham from Australia. We didn't have enough money to pay everybody. And we started not being able to make our payments uh, to the league, to stay in the league. And we had to basically, Mitch Graham left after a month uh, because we had some issues with our housing and, and getting paid on time. And, you know, for him as a professional, that was a very weird 
experience, and he you know, didn't know how that would all shake down. So, yeah, um, and that that put a lot of pressure on me because I brought him over, and um, and if I was in his shoes, I probably would have done the same thing. I mean, he was a, he's a, one of the best professional players on the Australian national team, and you know your your team tells you, hey, we're not sure if we can pay you now. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, and uh, it it was cool because I was playing in the best league and getting a chance to compete against these teams I always wanted to compete against. And I did pretty well for the most part. I had some shaky outings against the better teams. Um, we, we really didn't have a great defense or an offense to support us um, against, you know, we were a little bit overmatched, but we were competitive against the middle of the road teams. And so I had some good games against those teams, but um, it was getting really stressful because uh, I had a weird living situation and uh, we weren't guaranteed payments on time. And as a 26 year old, Probably looking back on it now, I probably took too much off the field stuff and let it affect me um, as as you know as a foreigner, where I just probably should have just what step back and try to enjoy the experience. But when you're losing after having the experience of winning the year before, it really just changes so much of the dynamics. Yeah, of, you know, of, the, of the situation. Understandably, yeah. So that season didn't go necessarily as planned, but. Um... You know, was that the end of your playing career then, or were, did you continue after that? Oh, no. I mean, this was, you know, I felt like, well, you know, I felt like, okay, I'd reached the pinnacle or whatever point that I, that I had um, in, and it was the middle of July, and we went on summer stop, and they basically told me I had to move out of my place because they couldn't pay for it, and, and then also that they weren't sure if they could finish the payments for that year. So I was sort of in a situation where I was scouting for the Astros and I wanted to stay in Europe for that. Yeah. And um, I also felt like I still had some baseball left in me and I wanted to play. Yeah. And good old Ty Erickson comes to call in. Uh, Ty Erickson, you know, who yeah. my teammate in Israel and it stood up and supported me, um, you know, against when, when I got thrown off the team. Uh, and that's an Erickson with an E-N on the end, not an O-N, just to clarify. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ty was playing in Germany and Munich at the time and had some pretty solid connections across Germany. And he said, Hey, um, you know, I heard that Hamburg is looking for, um, a starting pitcher to help him get in the playoffs. And, um, I was down scouting a tournament in Eindhoven, uh, PSV for, for some young players and the, the Hamburg, the HSV, uh, general manager was there coaching and Ty set it up where I would throw a bullpen for them. And, I did, and the guy was like, "Hey, you know, we could use you. We, you know, we, we're we're outside the playoffs right now. We we want to get in." And they offered me a pretty lucrative deal to finish the season with them. And Almira sold me to to, to Hamburg. So here I was in the middle end of July. And I'm like, "All right, go to the German Bundesliga now." <laughs> so the so. I guess the re- regulations then um, allowed you to join that late in the season because I'm pretty sure these days um, you wouldn't be able to. Well, no, I could join them. I could play. I just wasn't eligible for playoffs. I see. Okay. So you could you just finished the season off. Maybe I missed that. Sorry. Uh, yeah. You just finished the season off, but then you help them get into the playoffs, and then uh, I see. Okay. Yeah. So at this point, anyways, like I was like, hey, I reached the pinnacle of my baseball career. I played like five years in a row with you know no real breaks. Um, I, I think it's time to go back to law school. Maybe see what's going to happen with this sort of scouting thing. And um, I was, you know, not burned out of playing, but, you know, I the experience as a player at 26 years old and going through that 
situation where you know you can't have your housing guaranteed and they're going to kick you out and then you got to go live with some strangers in their house and yeah. you don't know if your contract's going to be there. I just sort of had enough with that at that point and I felt like going to Hamburg would be you know a good way to end the season on a positive note. Um, yeah. You know, looking back on it now, I I, I love the guys at Elmira so much and that town was like so committed to you know what I had done for them you know the year before. I wouldn't say that I would have gone back and, and, and changed anything because I'm, I'm okay with what I did, but that's the one time where I'm like, you know, I probably let the situation really get to me and I probably could have just stuck it out there a little bit longer for the year and finished the year in the head class and finished the season there um, because I did really have this thing in my heart for Elmira and for the guys there, you know, winning a championship together the year before. Um, and I did have a great experience going over to Hamburg, but I think that was the one time where I would really just let the situation get the best of me and, and not realize as a player, like, hey, this is such a unique opportunity to play in this side, kind of level in this yeah. league. But, uh, I mean, in your defense, you just came from a winter in Australia with pretty much the same situation, yeah. and now uh, you come to Europe. Uh, so it's almost a year straight of having trouble getting paid and whatnot. So, I mean, I can see why it would get to you <laughs> you know and and then of course losing a lot of the the top players on your team uh you know and losing is never fun so i mean the whole situation it's pretty understandable to be a little frustrated and maybe you know jump on that hamburg opportunity yeah i mean there's a lot of you know there's a lot of ups and downs in this career I mean, you play seven years overseas um you know you're gonna go through some some peaks and some valleys and just so happens probably my peaks and valleys happened a little bit quicker. They were like more month to month. Um, you know, so I go over to Hamburg and I help them get in the playoffs and I pitch 18 innings and allow, you know, one earned run or something like that. So that's a pretty good way to end the season. I was pretty, pretty feeling pretty pan- fancy about myself at this point. Yeah. And uh, I could go back to the States and go back to law school, you know, with uh, feeling good about things. Okay, guys, we're running on almost an hour here, so I'm going to stop this second part to the interview with Boomer Princeton right now, and you'll have to tune in for the third part to hear the rest of his story and how it all plays out. Uh, If anybody out there has a similar story or an exciting overseas baseball story, I'd love to hear about it, and maybe we can get you on the podcast as well. Uh, And also, if anybody wants to look at taking their crew overseas, you can head to www.internationalbaseballcommunity.com. Okay, I'm signing out, guys, until episode 60 and part three with Boomer Princeton. Take care, everybody.